welcome to VChat, episode number seven. My name's David Davis. And my name's Simon Seagrave from techhead.co.uk. And I'm Eric Siebert from vSphereLine.com. And today we're going to be talking about upgrading from ESX to ESXi, uh, as well as some other topics like the HP microserver and another one of our favorite topics, the iPad and some uh, cool new VMware uh, vCenter applications. So uh, with that, I guess let's get started. I know Eric has a, a great post on uh, how to upgrade from ESX to ESXi. Um, Eric, you want to get started talking about that? Sure. Um, you know, VMware has been encouraging people to, you know, ESX is, is going away. You, you have to upgrade to ESXi, and uh, they want you to move to ESXi, um, you know, for, for any existing ESX servers that you have. But uh, the big problem is there, they don't really tell you how to do it, and they're just basically telling you to do it and why to do it. Um, so I, I thought we'd kind of go over some of the steps of how you would actually do a migration from ESX to ESXi um, to, to, to put it pretty simple in simple terms there really isn't a, a magic switch or you know magic bullet that will just magically convert your ESX server to an ESXi server you pretty much have to start over and that means uh, wiping out your existing ESX instance and um, basically installing ESXi on top of that instance um, I kind of laid it out as um, uh, like a seven-step plan from going from ESX to ESXi uh, the first one was kind of uh, you know, make sure you, you you know the differences between ESX and ESXi. And there used to be a lot of differences as far as features go and some of the management, um, how you manage the host. Um, but that, that's changed with 4.1. They, they bridged the feature gap, and now most of the features in ESX are also in ESXi. But the management's a lot different. If you're used to the Service Console model, the um, the ESXi's you know simple management console and uh, direct co console user interface is a lot different. So you know, make sure you understand that. And um, you know, know what the difference is, and know how to use all the the management features in ESXi. Um, the second was gaining uh, ESXi experience, and of course, you know, you just don't want to rush into using ESXi if you've never used it before. You want to make sure you're you're comfortable with it, and you have the uh, you know kind of all the how to do things and how to do administer, configure, and everything like that. So you have a you know a good working um, knowledge and experience before you get you know cut over to ESXi. Um, the next, which was kind of can be a big one for some companies, is to um, find alternative to the if you have any ESX Service Console agents or scripts running there. Um, you know, a lot of the like things like backup applications install rely on the ESX Service Console to install agents and things like that. So you need to make sure you know check with your backup vendors or any other vendors, you know, HP, the hardware. Um, you have the uh, all the agents you typically install inside of there um, to find the. Um, Maybe they, you have to upgrade to a newer version of their software, something that can leverage the APIs and ESXi, or um, you know do do things differently without using the agents inside the service console. Um, in particular, the hardware is a big one. Um, and, and Simon, you, you probably know a bunch about that. Where ESXi, the hardware monitoring, is a lot different than ESX. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I mean, uh, whilst you're talking there, Eric, uh, one thing that did spring to mind was around the, um, the management side of things. I mean, how do you manage via the command line now, obviously, if the service console is going away? Although, officially, with 4.1, they still do allow a, um, uh, for you to put it in a, uh, well, what was previously deemed a unsupported mode. But I suppose there's a real compelling case now to start using VMA. Yeah, David, I think you have a lot of experience with VMA, don't you, using it and installing it and, and playing with it? Yeah, um, you know, Simon, you mentioned briefly the, um, you know, remote command line and, and the tech support mode. Um, I did post a couple of videos on my website on, 
you know, using the Nuvisa 4.1 um, tech support mode that's now officially supported, um, and then also the remote tech support mode, so you can access it via SSH. And um, they make it real easy in 4.1, you know, to enable these features, unlike before when you would have to go in and, you know, edit files and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I also um, did create a video recently on using uh, Vima to consolidate um, log files from ESXi servers uh, because, you know, those log files are really stateless. And once the ESXi server is powered off and back on, basically kind of like a Cisco router, it's like you lost the log. So, you know, for troubleshooting and security and stuff, you really want those log files, you know, taken off the servers and consolidated somewhere. Um, and Vima yeah. is really the, the perfect way to do it. You can really enable it with, like, one command. Uh, it's super That's easy to do. That's pretty useful. So, so where, where, where can people go to sort of find find your videos? There is it uh, on, on the train signal site there. Um, yeah, on my on my uh, those those videos on remote command uh, or tech support mode and remote tech support mode. Those are on my uh, website vmwarevideos.com, and um, the other video on using Vima uh, to consolidate syslogs is on uh, trainsignal.com. Yeah, so, that's, so that's a big one, you know, get, get experience with that because it is a lot different if you're used to going into the service console. And another key differentiator there is a lot of the commands you're used to using inside the service console, they're slightly different in some cases where some of the parameters might be different or may not exist when using the uh, the remote client, um, the, the remote command line client or the VMA and that. So. Um, just be aware of that stuff. They, they don't really document the, the differences too well, but I, I found a couple instances like VMKFS tools, some of the parameters that currently exist in the ESX version of the command and the service console don't exist in the uh, the VMA or the um, remote command line utility as well. So that's, um, you know, basically you used to have to install hardware agents inside the ESX service console so you can do, um, you know, pipe it out to your your um, your HP management console or Dell or whatever you're using. Um, now with the um, uh, ESXi, you actually have to download a special version that's kind of OEM branded of ESXi from the vendor's website that have those packages in there, their, their own customizations that they have for the hardware monitoring. Kind of next step I had was um, consider scripting host machine installations where now with 4.1 you can finally do scripted installations for ESXi. So, um, you know, that, that's a big time saver if you have a lot of hosts to be able to have to bring up, configure, where you can now, even uh, the kickstart stuff, um, do some uh, customization and scripting to, to make that a lot more automated and uh, streamlined so you're not spending time constantly doing the same thing over and over when you're building each host. Um, after that, it was more of the, the planning for um, upgrading to ESX, ESXi. Um, like I said, it does overwrite the current install. You know, I've tested it out. It does not preserve any local VMFS volumes. It wipes them out. So any local VMs you have, you better get out of there. Otherwise, they're going to get wiped out. So um, basically, you have to, you know, if you have shared storage, try to do a storage remotion or a cold migration to the shared storage or to another host. Get them off that host before you actually do the upgrade. Um, I, you know, I originally thought that it would preserve the VMFS volume and just maybe change the, some of the partitioning that's, um, that's used for uh, um, ESX, the service console, but it, it basically starts over. So you have to um, be careful that you don't, you know, you're going to overwrite your complete ESX installation. So make sure you, you know, just like installing a, you know, a formatting the drive and re reinstalling, it's wiping everything out. So just plan on that, moving your VMs, you know, somewhere else or, you know, or um, um, backing them up somewhere and then restoring them once you bring ESXi back up. Um, the next was uh, the kind of the configuration method. Um, since you are starting fresh, 
Um, you are losing all your configuration settings, things like vSwitches and stuff like that that you may have configured on that server. Um, you're going to have to reconfigure all that stuff. So that's another big um, pain in the butt where you got to you got to know what you have to reconfigure, so you have to document everything, document all your settings and that, so you know how you can reconfigure it once you've reinstalled ESXi. Um, there's a couple tools and uh, things you can use to, to help streamline that as well. Um, host profiles, which are new in vSphere, um, you can use that to kind of do some of your um, applying, you know, policies and settings to uh, servers. So once you build a new server, a new host, you can automatically apply those settings, but they're, um, they're pretty lacking in a lot of areas. They're not... Um, they're not as robust as they could be. They don't cover all the configuration settings. Um, distributed vSwitches, if you're using those, um, then you don't have to worry about any local vSwitch stuff because you can just um, put all your uh, distributed vSwitch stuff globally and then just connect your new host to that distributed vSwitch and you're all set. Um, you can use Kickstart. Oh, just one thing there, Eric. You're talking about host profiles there before. I don't know about you guys. Did it ever strike you as strange when uh, vSphere came out that they only uh, – VMware – in their wisdom, thought to only include host profiles with Enterprise Plus. I think that's such a useful util, yeah. and it's not a biggie, but, it's for, for, you know, in instances like this, if host profiles was ava were available throughout the entire range of vSphere, that would get, you know, all, all, all this pain <laughs> for a lot of people out there at the moment wanting to do the upgrade would, uh, would go exactly. away. It's just one thing that, out of, out of that whole range, it really stood out for me that, that that should have been the one util that they should have given away across all the packages. You know, I, I think yeah, I host, host profiles are geared toward larger environments where you're managing a lot of servers. And the, the two features that they moved to Enterprise Plus, which was the distributed vSwitches, which is, again, for larger environments, I think that's why they moved them there. You know, sure, it would be a handy feature for pretty much any environment, but I think their, their kind of methodology and thinking behind that was these are the types of features that only large enterprise environments are, are going to you know, leverage the most, so maybe that's why they, they moved them there. But I agree, it, it definitely would be a handy feature for, you know, just about, you know, any um, installation to be able to automatically apply settings to hosts and ensure compliance. Um, there is a, if you don't, if you don't have an enterprise plus and you want to use a feature like that, um, Reflex actually makes a uh, utility called uh, uh, the vProfile v Configuration Management, which is uh, does the same thing, but it does it on a much more, robust and granular level. Um, it covers a lot of the settings that VMware doesn't cover in host profiles. So um, that's always an option if you're, you're looking to, to purchase. There's a lot of other capabilities in that, that their whole product suite um, that you could, um, you know, leverage that. You know, I checked with Reflex also basically saying, so if I had an ESX host using your vProfile um, feature and I um, basically wiped it out, installed ESXi on it, would it put everything back? And they said, yeah, everything, if you had everything configured there, it would put almost everything back in there. So that would kind of eliminate a lot of that pain of, of having to do that. Um, you know, like cool. I said before, also the other thing is knowing what your settings are, and yeah, that means documenting your servers. You know, you can use there's some, I think, some free PowerShell stuff that will do that. Also things like uh, Veeam Reporter, they make a, a free version of that, I think, that are, or an eval version that can help, um, you know, document your server, exactly what you need to recreate once you rebuild your host. Yeah, um, for documentation, um, I think uh, Veeam Reporter, the free edition, would be a great, you know, uh, option. And then also RV Tools was one of the free tools we talked about at VMworld. Okay. Um, and it's it's a great tool that pretty much will document every everything, you know, in your virtual infrastructure. Yeah, I think the, the big one is the vSwitch configurations. That's always kind of... Um, you know, can be kind of, you know, especially if you have a lot of them, um, you know, setting up all the port groups and things like that. 
Um, but you know, there, there's a lot there to, to make sure you, you document so you can, um, you know, get it all back there properly once you rebuild the host. Um, you know, and then the final step is basically the final up, doing the actual upgrade from ESX to ESXi. That it's pretty dang simple. You basically just you know put the media in. Um, you know, you want to first move all the VMs off local storage, um, remove um, the host from vCenter server, um, and then basically just boot off the uh, ESXi installer disk, uh, run through the installation, and um, once you're done, just add it back to vCenter and uh, move your, all your VMs back on, and um, you're good to go. So that, that's probably the actual easy part. It's all the, the planning and all the prep before that is uh, what kind of the pain in the butt part. So. Um, you know, fairly fairly straightforward as long as you're, um, you know, just make sure you know the process ahead of time, all the things you have to do. Um, you know, try it out on uh, don't on a, maybe a small or a test server before you actually go for the, some of your bigger and more production-like servers. So, but um, you know, that, that's it. That's basically you know the process, and um, I guess we're all going to have to be doing that soon. You know, going from ESX to ESXi if we want the new versions and that. So it's better to kind of get it out of the way now, you know, over time rather than you know at the last minute once a new version comes out and there is no more ESX service console version and you're kind of stuck on the old version to, you, to move to ESXi. Mm-hmm. So people can head over to Tech Target there, check out yeah, your it's article also, it's entitled um, Upgrading Hosts from ESX to ESXi in Seven Steps, I believe. Is that yeah, right? and I also posted a link on my website to it as well. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes cool. as well. Definitely a useful article. You know, I think a great idea for a PowerShell script would be uh, a script that would go out to ESX servers and, you know, pull down all the configurations, uh, save them, and then reconfigure a new ESXi server with those configs once it was, you know, upgraded. I think that'd be a cool idea. Yeah, and I, I was looking cool. for that. I, you know, I didn't look super hard, but I thought something might exist. I thought uh, some of Alan Renault's scripts might do that. Um, I, and I think there is a Power Document or script somewhere that kind of dumps everything into a Word doc. Um, so there, there might be something out there. I'll we'll have to look at that a little bit further to see. That that would be nice, trying to basically, you know, suck all the configs out of the that host and then put it back in there once you're done. That would be pretty cool if you can do that through PowerShell and that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool stuff. You know, something that uh, every VMware admin out there is going to eventually have to do uh, is to move to ESXi. So good information. Thanks, Eric. Sure. So, uh I know that both you and Simon have uh, some new blog posts out about this new HP microserver. Um, I guess I'll let uh, Simon, you want to start this time and, and talk about that first? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, announcement by HP a couple of days ago um, about a new uh, addition to its ProLiant uh, range. So, as you probably know, I mean, the ProLiant range consists of, you know, MLs, DLs, the 100, 200, 300 series. Now, this one has got a, um, a new model of its own, effectively called the microserver. Uh, and as the clue, clue is in the name there, uh, it has a rather small uh, form factor, rather similar to the uh, shuttle. So those of you out there that have perhaps uh, owned or seen a shuttle before, um, very small form factor, nice little box about yay big. Actually, speaking of which, I have one in my cupboard. <laughs> Simon's got so everything in that little home lab of his. It's, yeah, this used to be my home lab. This is my <laughs> first home lab server ever. So, He's got everything so in the this is a shuttle. Ah, okay. uh, this is a very old one, actually. This is just a single core AMD. But uh, yeah, I, I love so those form factors. They're, they're perfect for small little home labs, and they're not taking up a lot of room. Oh, they're just so quiet as well. You know, quiet, and they don't draw much okay. power. Um, 
No, they're very good indeed. So anyway, it's um, UHP. So it's called an HP ProLite microserver, uh, micro small form factor. Uh, it's, so it's not a member of the 100 series, uh, unlike the uh, ML1110 or 115 that uh, both Eric and myself use. Um, it's very quiet indeed, and uh, it's based on a, a, a relatively new processor from AMD on it, um, which is more sort of closely aligned to what you generally see in a, uh, in, a, in a laptop or similar. So it's an AMD Athlon 2. It's a dual-core processor. Uh, it's a Neo N N36L, uh, I think. Yeah, the 1.3 um, dual-core. Yeah, so it's 1.3 dual-core, 15-watt processor. So yes. this, is, this is something that you'd normally see in a laptop. Um, comes with a gigabyte of memory, uh, uh, two DIMM slots, and uh, like I say, two cores. So... Um, yeah, Eric, what, what, what are your first thoughts on it? You know, I, when I first saw that thing, I thought, wow, man, this is perfect. I'd, I'd love to have a small little server like this in my lab. But once I started digging into the technical stuff, I'm like, oh, there's no way we could, I could use this as a virtual host. You know, like you mentioned, the two DIMM slots, I mean, that limits you basically to, um, if you're going to use two gig DIMMs, to so four gig of RAM. I priced on HP's website the uh, the upgrade if you want to remove that, that one gig that's in there and put two two gigs in there. And it's 80 bucks a piece for each DIMM, so it's $160. To, but to go to 8 gig, which is the max support of RAM on that with 4 gig DIMMs, yeah. was $350 a DIMM for $700 total. So wow. that, that's twice as much as the server itself. So that's, it's, uh, it's, that was it's crazy money. A, a big showstopper for me, dumping that much more money into it. And the other, like you yeah. mentioned, was that processor is essentially uh, you know designed for um, those ultra mobile laptops and 1.3 gigahertz in dual core. You know, it just really isn't going to give you the horsepower you need to run um, you know a bunch of VMs on ESX host. And it could be okay if you're just using it for barely minimal use, where you're just you know just bringing up a few VMs and stuff like that. But you know, to me, that's just you know, that, those two things are a showstopper for me where it's, um, yeah. you know, basically you, you can't really, for the amount of money, you could easily go up to the ML110G6, which is only, yep. starting price, only about $160 more, and you get more, too. This um, microserver doesn't have any removable drives in that. You can add one for 50 bucks, um, but the ML110G6 already includes that. Um, it's only got two expansion slots. The other thing is as well, it doesn't actually come with a CD or DVD drive at all. That's a, that's an optional extra. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I meant. The, it's a fifty dollars. And yeah. that um, the two slots, um, I, I think that's okay having two slots. Like I only use two in mine. I, I put two dual port NICs in there, um, so that, that's I'm okay with that. They're PCIe slots. One's a, a times one, and one's a times sixteen slot. Sixteen. And but um, so I think that's okay. But, do you know? Do you know what I think they should have done there, though? It's like, like you rightly said. I mean, normally you would you sometimes use two slots, but usually it's just one. And in an ESX environment, and I guess the one thing we should point out in this, and we do fully recognise this before anyone uh, emails us, uh, is that the intention for this uh, server by HP was really just to run Windows Server or Red Hat. Uh, so it was never intended to be a virtualization server at all, but obviously, being virtualization guys, uh, you know, we saw this, eyes lit up, nice small form factor, very quiet, cheap to run. Um, we'd like to see it as a, as a, a little bit beefier, but uh, like I say, we just want to point out that obviously HP, their intention for it was never to be a virtualization server, but I, I personally think it'd be nice if they could remove one of the PCI slots in there, maybe the, 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 the one times PCIe slot in there, and use that extra space to add a couple of more dim, dim sockets in because admittedly, you know, the space is rather rather tight inside the case there. But I'd much rather see another two DIMM sockets and just have one uh, PCIe uh, uh, card expansion port. 
Well, I've heard that they're trying to get it on the, the vSphere compatibility guide, so I think they're looking as a possible candidate for virtualization, but who knows. Um, yeah, like you said, that'd be if, – if, or instead of having four drive bays internally in that, which, you know, most people use shared storage, two is plenty for me. Get rid of two drive bays and put some more room in there for, you know, for more memory. Uh, I'd love to have more uh, processor options if I can go to uh, – and like the Core i3 or the any of the ZM processor, this one's AMD, so maybe the AMD equivalents. Um, you know that'd be great too. So I think it has potential. And I was kind of confused by them not adding it to their ML line and having it completely separate. You know, maybe even a an ML001 or something. So giving it a name instead of a model number is kind of confusing to me. That seemed to think they want to gear it towards more of the consumer market or toward the you know, very small uh, business market or something. Well, apparently their intention, so I've read up about it a little bit with their release and everything. They, they, where it's aimed at is actually the uh, SMB space, eight to, between about eight and ten people, apparently, in for remote offices, uh, running Windows or Red Hat. So, so supposedly that's the target uh, audience. Now. But I think even if you were to run Windows Server 2008 on there, you know, the SMB edition or even, you know, R2, it's going to be potentially, even with ten users on there, um, it's going to be struggling potentially with that, yeah. you know, with, with the CPUs it has. Yeah, so, um, yeah. uh, no, I agree with you. Four bays in there. Yeah, do away with. We, we don't need four bays. And the other thing is, it only it can only offer uh, RAID zero and RAID one anyway. So right. it's not like you could put four drives in there anyway and, and RAID five it. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Eric. I mean, I, I think reduce it back to two two drive bays. Have a RAID one option on there, and just use that extra headroom in there to you know put a put a slightly beefier processor in. Yeah, yeah, I think it definitely would have, I think they could do a whole line of these servers if they kind of made it a little bit more customizable in that. Um, I would love to see a storage server come out in the size form factor. Right now, they don't have that at all at HP. They have their, their X line of servers like the X500, but those are all the Windows-based servers where you can't, um, you know, do things like uh, NFS. And I think you might be able to hack it and do it. Um, so the traditional storage servers like the iOmegas and that, um, to get into some of that stuff, they have to go all the way up to their X, like, 1400 or 1500 line, which are pretty pricey and big. So I'd love to see kind of a nice little storage server. Or you could even make your own with this thing. Um, it's cheap, and you can easily add um, four one terabyte drives for under 300 bucks and install Open Fire on it and have yourself your own little NAS and that for you know, nice. on, under 700 bucks. So um, I think it has potential for that. But like you said, it's because it's so underpowered. Um, you know, everybody's embracing virtualization, so I don't, I don't know why they would bring out a server that, you know, even at the SMB market, um, that wouldn't really be able to use with virtualization, especially since everybody's pushing it like VMware and HP is trying to go to all their kind of converged infrastructure with virtualization and everything else. So they send a kind of a confusing message with the server, I thought. Um, I, I wasn't really sure what they intended it for and, um, you know, how they intended it to be to use. So. It's um it's a neat little server, but you know I just can't see using it for virtualization or for you know much anything else because it essentially is a laptop in a server case. Mm. But even that is not really a server case either, is it? It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, kind of mad. I keep referring to it as it's it's kind of mad. Hey, one thing I picked up on the HP website there that I thought was interesting when you go there. Um, you go to HP ProLiant servers, and then there's a category HP ProLiant Microservice Series. Oh, really? Now, I think that's kind of interesting. They've used the word series in there, so oh. that tends to imply this, this may be the first of, of many. Um, yeah, so I maybe they're that just, too. They're te- maybe they're just testing the waters with this one. Um, 
you know, uh, hopefully I get some feedback. And uh, that's the thing that's almost out. I really want to like the server. I really want to like it because um, I think it's a great form factor. It'd be ideal for people with small offices like myself. Um, but, yeah, it's just not there. There's those two things, the memory and the CPU, just kills it for me, unfortunately. And the other thing was, will it even work with vSphere? Because the NIC in there, the embedded NIC, is the NC107i, which is the, the one in the ML110G6. So that will work with vSphere. vSphere will recognize that. But they don't list any details on the storage controller. I was assuming it was the same one that's used in the ML110G6 as, as well, which is the B110i. And if it is, you should be able to install vSphere on it because that one is supported as well. But they don't list any details on what that storage controller is beyond it's just a SATA RAID controller and that. So who knows if it'll even work with vSphere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was kicking around a few ideas. I was thinking, well, even if you were to use it, maybe uh, remove the disk from there completely. have no disk in there. It has got a, a uh, internal uh, USB slot on the board, so boot it off ESXi, and then just use uh, either NFS or iSCSI to run your VMs from. Uh, yeah, but once yeah, again, definitely. you're back, back to the issue where you've got the, the CPU. You know, if you, if you want to spin up half yeah. a dozen VMs on it, and the it's memory. probably going to start struggling. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I would totally recommend the ML110 G6 if you're looking for a low-cost server to use with virtualization. It, it's much more customizable, lots of CPU options, pretty low-cost, and, um, you know, a lot more upgradability than the small little server. But like I said, I, I'd love to see them kind of build on this and maybe offer more options and make it more usable for virtualization. So I guess we'll have to wait and see what uh, what they come out with. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the form factor. I, I agree with you guys. Um, but I, just like Simon, I have a shuttle, and I think the processor on it is almost twice as fast as, as the processor on this, and, and my shuttle's like two years old. So um, seems like a great form factor, but, yeah, I hope it, it gets uh, beefed up a little bit. So Yeah, so, yeah uh, we'll see. So at uh, VMworld, there are a couple new iPad applications announced uh, or hinted at. Uh, they're not officially available uh, but there were some videos that were posted on YouTube, and, and we'll include the links to those videos um, in the VChat uh, post here. But uh, the first one was Project Horizon that uh, Stephen Harrod demoed uh, in the keynote at VMworld. And then the second uh, one was an iPad application for managing vSphere. It's like a, a vCenter iPad management application. Um, and I've only seen it in the video on YouTube, but uh, it looks super cool. Uh, and I know, Eric, you watched the videos. Uh, what did you think about those apps? Uh, I saw it. I haven't seen the one. I've only seen the iPad, like the, the vSphere client for the iPad, and it looked really okay. slick. And, it, you know, I was kind of disappointed it's going to be a fling where it's not going to be an official, you know, part really? of. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's going to be – they're talking about it will launch within the next month or so um, as a fling. So um, if you go oh. to the, the VMware, um, VMware Labs website, they got all their flings listed in there. They currently have their – vCenter mobile access app there, which is kind of the same thing for, yeah. like, cell phones, but I think it's all web-based. So it looked really cool. I liked it. You basically can log in. It's got the little vSphere client icon on your iPad. You log in. It lists all your hosts. You can select the host. You see all the VMs. It's kind of got little uh, flashcards where you can flip over uh, the configuration of the VM and see performance stats and, yeah. and all that stuff and do you – know, it's, it's basically kind of like the, the web UI. It's limited to managing VMs and seeing things like that with not the full functionality of the vSphere client. But I, I'm definitely looking forward to, to checking that out. It definitely looked really cool. So for, for yeah, people I mean, out there who may be not familiar with um, with the fling, either listening or uh, watching this, uh, so, so, so what is a fling, guys? A uh, fling is basically um, 
Uh, VMware's a little uh, sandbox of apps that aren't official apps, but the developers have kind of cooked up to, uh, to do some neat things. If you go to labs.vmware.com, um, they have all the flings listed there, and currently they have probably over a dozen, um, anywhere from like ESX Plot, uh, that Project Onyx, it'll um, automatically generate PowerShell code for you, um, to some other cool apps there, uh, the VCMA, which is a virtual center uh, mobile access, um, virtual USB analyzer. console. Yeah, so a lot of cool stuff there. So if you're not familiar with the flings, I definitely encourage you to go check some of them out. They're, they're pretty cool. Yeah, actually they had a stand at the um, uh, VMworld there, which is rather good as you walked in, oh, they? Uh, and they were just tr they were just trying to get ideas from people as you walked past. So they had a uh, sort of like a whiteboard there, uh, so you could walk up there with a whiteboard marker and just write down almost your wish list of things oh, that cool. you'd like to see within uh, uh, ESX or ESXi or vSphere even. Um, oh. It was great, and then if you filled that out, they they gave you a T-shirt with uh, VMware Labs on it. Uh, that was quite cool. So I thought oh, that was cool. a really good idea to try and try and get some good. Good, uh, good feedback and some good ideas from the uh, the attendees. Yeah, it's cool going right from the attendees to the developers. You know, bypassing the normal chain of trying to get features yeah. in the vSphere, so you can kind of get some of these little things cooked up in their uh, their mad scientist lab back there at VMware. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I met the guy in charge of VMware Labs. You know, at VMworld, um, I, I saw him in that booth. I also saw him at at the tweet up. And, uh, you know, he was telling me that all the developers, that they, they're really proud of their flings, and they, they actually read all the feedback that people post oh, cool. on the That's lab's good. website. And, um, you know, that they, they really hope that those features will, you know, one day be incorporated into, like, the vSphere client or, or come out as commercial products. So okay. um, really, uh, really caring guy and, and really interested in new ideas and feedback. So I thought that was really cool. Um, I really thought this iPad um, management application for vSphere would, you know, that they would sell it initially. Like, I thought they might sell it for 30 bucks or something oh, yeah. on, the, the app store? Uh, on the iTunes App Store. I mean, because it's really cool looking. And, um, and it, you know, I, I think people would pay for it, honestly. So yeah, I, I, I think I agree. So then the other iPad application was the Project Horizon um, that Stephen Harrod demoed, you know, in, in uh, the first keynote. And, um, you know, initially it looked to me almost like a, a Citrix receiver, um, if you guys have used that before, um, sort of a, a way to access, like, published applications, as Citrix calls them, um, through, like, ThinApp or, or Vue, um, but through an iPad. So uh, it, almost like a little store with those different, um, like you said, little, little cards, um, similar to the, the, um, the vCenter management application, but those little cards – well, one for each of your applications that you had access to um, that you could run through through view. And it also has um, the single sign-on um, capability that they purchased through another company. I forget the name, TriCert or something okay. like that. Um, but, but it reminded me of Citrix Receiver. Um, have you guys taken a look at that application at all or, or seen the demo? I haven't yet, no, not yet. I've been trying to catch up and everything. Yeah, it's been a crazy week so be, far. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think it'll be really cool to see, you know, what becomes of it. Is it is it a um, sort of like a an I, I'm picturing it as an end user uh, application store, you know, for your uh, virtual infrastructure. So you know, they have this iPad app they run, and they have access to, let's say, Word, Excel, Outlook. Um, Salesforce, you know, whatever the different applications are, and they run them directly, you know, from their iPad. Um, I think it'll be really cool to see what happens to it. Oh, yeah, that definitely worth checking that out. That sounds good. 
Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll drop a link. Um, Brian Madden, um, he did a real good post on oh, cool. um, Project Horizon and what it can do and everything like that. So. No, that's good. Definitely check that out because it's been uh, well, how many days has it been since VMworld? World? Uh, <laughs> I've been back about five days so far, and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm still catching up on washing and sleep and yeah. everything else. It's, uh, it's sleep, been kind of crazy. Biggie. I spent a couple of days doing that one. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So, uh, any final thoughts, guys, on um, VMworld or anything you'd like to add to this VChat? No, I just look forward to next year's VMworld. It's going back to Vegas, and it should be another great show. I just did a pretty humongous write-up on my whole experience there. That's probably published on uh, searchvmware.com next week. So um, I kind of put all my thoughts and you know how I saw everything at VMworld into one big post. Cool. Yeah, and for me, I've got another, ooh, what's it now, uh, four weeks or five weeks to VMworld uh, Copenhagen. So, oh, yeah, uh, you're going. David, you're so, going yeah, too, yeah I'm you? going to that. David, you're going as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got another four weeks or so, like oh, Simon, until uh, VMware uh, Europe, you know, and I still I need to buy my plane ticket and, and book a hotel. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited to go and talk about, you know, free tools and just to see Europe and, and uh, you know, all those crazy Dutch, you know, VMware <laughs> people that yeah. <laughs> that I've, I've met previous VMworlds who didn't make it to, you know, VMworld in San Francisco. So should be a lot okay. of fun. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, it'll be good. All right, well, you know, thanks for joining us on this week's VChat, uh, episode number six. Uh, we, you know, moving from ESX to ESXi, you know, we learned from Eric the there's seven steps in his post, um, but you know, unfortunately, it's not just a real uh, point-and-click, you know, upgrade process. Uh, we talked about the HP microserver, pretty cool, um, nice form factor, but you know, uh, not as much CPU and RAM as we'd like, and you know, may or may not support vSphere. And then we talked about the cool new. Um, iPad applications coming out from VMware. So thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks, Eric. Hey, thank you. And thanks, thanks very Simon. much, guys. See you next week. See you. Bye-bye.